underneath every single goal that we set, scale goal, this size clothing, whatever it may be, it's just a collection of feelings. Meaning if we can get really clear on how we want to feel confident, strong, energetic, in control, sexy, healthy, whatever it may be, that actually helps us to appropriately align the most effective action steps. But the real challenge that we often hide or run away from is, you know, we are emotional beings at our core and we experience a huge spectrum of emotions on a daily basis, which influence how we speak to ourselves, how we behave. And ultimately, if we can begin to master our energy, master our emotions, the nutritional X's and O's fall into place. They become easy second nature operating in the background. Welcome to Cut the Crap with Beth and Matt, the world's number one no bullshit health and fitness podcast. Are you ready to cut the crap with your diet and exercise, get strong as fuck and build a healthy relationship with food? Then you've come to the right place. Let's Let's go. If you'd like to support us in the podcast, join our Patreon where you get exclusive content, which consists of monthly workouts you can do at home or at the gym, monthly challenges that are either strength, habit, or mindset-based, and access to over 100-plus low-calorie, high-protein, family-friendly meals. These are all designed by a professional chef who is certified in nutrition. These recipes are already in my fitness pal for easy fucking tracking. New recipes are also added each week. We believe that fitness is for everyone. So this is our way of getting you started on your health and fitness journey at a price most everyone can afford. So what the fuck are you waiting for? We'll see you in the Patreon. Hello. Hey guys, how are you? Good, how are you, Paul? Hey Paul. I'm doing great, it's wonderful to connect. Excited to chat today. Yeah, likewise, Matt. Yeah, you know what? Uh, What's funny is I found out about you a long time ago, maybe 2018, um, when I I was part of the inner circle with Jordan Syatt. I was going through my own fitness journey, right? And I was trying to figure out about maintenance. Uh-huh. And I came across your podcast, the Screw the Scale podcast, and literally life changer, life changer. Oh, those are strong words. Yeah. I mean, no, seriously, I mean, there was one thing you said, um, and it was like your ending diet weight is not your maintenance weight. Mm, yeah. And that I have never forgot that. Good. <laughs> so I'd love to talk about maintenance today. Yeah. <laughs> talk about whatever you want. I'm going to yeah. Because a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. For sure. A lot of people see that maintenance as being a bad thing too. So it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> well, it's because it's not sexy. It's like, yeah. oh my God, now I'm not chasing a new low on the scale. What do I do? Oh, I'm bored. Let me self-sabotage and fall victim to shiny object syndrome over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't you introduce yourself and let everyone know who you are, what you do? Dive in. Yeah, I'll dive right in. So yes, I'm Paul. Walter. I'm a registered dietitian, a founder of the 5% community. And like all of you, just a human being trying to go throughout this thing called life, trying to get 1% better every single day. But uh, my background is quite unique, meaning, you know, early in my dietitian career, I spent a lot of time working in a bariatric weight loss surgery outpatient clinic, helping those contemplating the surgery altogether to decide whether that they were going to go through with or not. And my position was really geared at helping them emotionally, mentally, either ready themselves for that drastic life altering change, emphasis on the life changing there, right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, for those who decided not to go against it, you know, okay, great. We've, we've built some progress here. How can we continue to make this a consistent daily practice so you can avoid the surgery altogether? And I'll tell you what, that was a huge, huge, valuable experience for me because I got to work with dietitians for who were so close in the know of understanding food behaviors, the emotional component of food. And, you know, I'm still in touch with those mentors today and they truly altered the trajectory of my career, which a couple of years later, I kind of found myself on the opposite end of the spectrum. I was working with elite college, professional, and Olympic athletes, helping them to optimize their performance, of course, their recovery, their body composition, their relationship with food. And I had an absolute blast doing that other than working 75, 80 hours per week and realized, hey, I kind of want to have a life too throughout all of this. And that is when I ultimately made the decision to leave that position at IMG Academy and go off to working for myself. You know, I had a little pit stop in between working for a company called bodybuilding.com, but I was fortunate enough to connect with the founder and owner of Renaissance Periodization at that time, became a coach with them for just over five years. And then ultimately, you know, worked up enough courage to truly go out on my own a couple of years ago. And that's when, you know, the 5% community was born and I get to just help people every day while just being myself. It's a win-win situation. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. 
very diverse uh, yeah. experience there from one one end of the spectrum with bariatrics and then high performers in, in sports and athletes and things like that. That's uh, I'm sure that served you very well in your future endeavors, right? Absolutely. Just learning how to communicate with such a wide, a wide range of people has been instrumental in just helping to get my points across and help them to clearly see, you know, what is required, not as much as they think to have the success they desire. Yeah. You mentioned something in there that really caught my attention because it's something we talk about a lot and that's the behaviors around food and, mm-hmm. and our emotions around food. So that was a real eye, real eye opener. It sounds like for you being in that bariatric setting, that's very important, right? Because you know, you can teach the X's and the O's, right? Right. For fat loss, calorie deficit. We know that's not going to help a lot of people just saying calorie deficit. We need to get to the root cause, which is our behaviors and relationship with food. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you said the nutritional X's and O's. That's like, I I use that term all the time because you're (laughs) right. People oversimplify, you know, calories in calories out, boom, done sustainable weight loss achieved just like that. But the truth is, underneath every single goal that we set scale goal, this size clothing, whatever it may be, it's just a collection of feelings. Meaning if we can get really clear on how we want to feel confident, strong, energetic, in control, sexy, healthy, whatever it may be, that actually helps us to appropriately align the most effective action steps. But the real challenge that we often hide or run away from is, you know, we are emotional beings at our core and we experience a huge spectrum of emotions on a daily basis, which influence how we speak to ourselves, how we behave. And ultimately, if we can begin to master our energy, master our emotions, the nutritional X's and O's fall into place. They become easy second nature operating in the background. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Gosh. I mean, that we were, me and Matt, we are big on mindset with our coaching. It really comes down to your mindset and your belief and your ability to succeed and all kinds of stuff that, you know, people are like, well, can I just have my calorie deficit number and my protein goal? It's like, okay, well, we can give you that, but it's going to take a, you know, it's a lot of hills and valleys throughout that, um, that we're going to have to conquer. You're absolutely right. And, you know, it's really unfortunate, you know, the diet industry as a whole has kind of fed us this medicine that, oh my gosh, we can, we can have those specific macros or calorie goals and lose weight, but it's, it's just putting a bandaid on a bullet hole. You know, I hate to make that gross analogy there, but it's just so true because, as human beings, I mean, you two know more than anyone, just like myself, like we're really gritty as, as human beings, we can follow a restrictive plan for 30, 60, 90 days, but inevitably it becomes unsustainable. We reach a point of burnout and we have become so distanced from our natural bodies, homeostasis mm-hmm. that our body will fight tooth and nail to get us back, which means returning to the comfort zone of habits that got us to feeling unhappy and frustrated in the first place. Mm-hmm. People like rules right? They like, they want to follow the rules, give me a plan so I can follow it. But then what happens after the fact? We also love rebelling against rules. Right, right. You know, um, and that's why people go back to keto because it's, there's rules, right? And then they lose track of, they don't even know what the fuck they want to eat or like to eat anymore because they were taught this, 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 eat this way. But then they, you know, they go off track, then they blame all the other things, and go back to the diet because it worked before, but if it really actually worked, why are you doing it again? So rules. Well, if you think about it too, the diet industry is so incredibly smart, capitalizing on human behavior, human psychology, because as, as gritty as we are as human beings, we're also incredibly lazy. We want the efficient approach. We want to do as little work mm-hmm. as possible to get those results. And it works temporarily, but it's never <laughs> a long-term answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you said that it works. Right. And we, like w- when people are telling me, oh, I'm going to go back to Weight Watchers because it works. And then it's like, then my question to them comes, did it really work though? Right. Right. It may have worked short term, but long term, it didn't teach you any of the skills that you need to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. Whereas where you come in place, it sounds like Paul with, with maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the first thing we got to, we have to really make sure we, we make clear to your wonderful audience too, is there's two different definitions of the word diet. Like mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is intentionally eating to lose weight, but then there's also the secondary definition that is vastly overlooked, which is a habitual way of eating. You don't say, you don't automatically assume someone who tells you, Hey, I follow a plant-based diet that they're trying to lose 20 pounds in three weeks. No, they just eat primarily plant-based foods. It's their habitual way of eating. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest reframes I try to instill in those that we work with as early as possible, because when they, when you help them really reframe how they view that word diet, it 
drastically alters their relationship with food and helps them to better see the long-term answer. Like, oh, like this is just a habitual way of eating. If I can find an approach that is unique, simple, and flexible from day one, not day 91 after I've lost the weight in an unsustainable way, now everything begins to come together. They take ownership, they take empowerment, and now everything does become sustainable. So the weight loss they do achieve is actually able to be maintained. Yeah. The you diet. The you diet. Yeah, I like that. The you diet. The Paul diet, the Beth diet, the Matt diet. <laughs> yeah, that's what people are like, well, what diet are you on? I'm like, I'm, I'm, on, I'm doing the me diet. Oh, that's good. I really like that. You know, I developed you, this over the course of 40, 40 50 years, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? <laughs> For you. Went, yeah. went through a lot of crazy diets to actually figure out the me diet. Well, you did all the hard work for everyone. You did the trial and error. You learned, you pivoted, and now you have the perfect diet for you. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And that takes time. And it's, it's hard. Like you said, it's, we, we want the easy way out and we have to try things. We have to, we have to pay attention to our bodies first and foremost, because we have to learn to eat in a way that makes our body feel good. You know, we're not going to appropriately fuel, fuel our body with nothing but Twinkies. Right. So can those be part of your diet? Absolutely. But if you're just eating nothing but that stuff, you're not going to be feeling great. Yeah. There's that connection of feelings again. Yeah. So spot on. Right. Would you agree that the way you lose weight is how you maintain weight as well then? Or are you more of a nuanced discussion? It's a, it's a fantastic question. You know, one of the, one of the principles we try to teach is that the literal only difference between a maintenance and a diet phase is just the amount of food on your plate. So Mm -hmm. we like to spend a lot of time in what we call the pre-diet maintenance phase, where we're working to rebuild the foundational eating habits, rebuild the relationship with food. So that now in the absence of a calorie deficit, where your body's not literally stressed emotionally, physiologically, and mentally, we can build new patterns, unlearn habits that were no longer serving us. And then Come diet time, we put a little less food on your plate. And sure, there's a couple of nuances, you know, maybe you're not drinking as much alcohol or dining out as frequently, but there's still that happy medium that is sustainable during the diet phase. So that again, when we're not dieting any longer, we're in that maintenance phase, same thing. The only thing that changes is the amount of food on your plate. And then, yeah, maybe you're enjoying what we like to call a free meal a bit more often, but there's no drastic change between the two. Okay. Yeah. I, a lot, a lot of questions I get on social media is like, I have lost 130 pounds, but I'm really afraid to gain it all back. Um, because they did all that hard work. So what would you say, or how would you help someone move through that, that fear of gaining all the weight back and, and stop, you know, restricting so much because of that fear? Yeah, there's a couple things. So the first is I, I really like to break it down, you know, physiologically with examples. Like, you know, for example, if you were to go eat, you know, 5,000 calories one night, you know, you don't all of a sudden put on pounds and pounds of fat, you know, it doesn't work that way. It has to become a, a gradual drastic behavior change that takes place for you to undo all of your hard work. So helping to walk through numerical examples, it seems like human beings, we, we really understand numbers because math doesn't lie. Showing sample calorie intakes is an example I like to share with them. But moreover, we have to really start working deeper in the mind here. We know that maintenance is not sexy and that success is bred from monotony and consistency. And it's really hard to get excited about seeing the same damn number on the scale every single day, but it's a reframe that absolutely has to take place. From there, we have got to do a better job of setting new goals. Now, yeah, we don't really get to use the scale as a goal here. We certainly can, but it's not as powerful as, dur- as it is during a dieting phase. So really encouraging people to look beyond the scale, to even look beyond clothing sizes for other ways that their consistent eating is paying off and improving their lives is really integral because progress or the perception of it is an absolute necessity for us to continue putting in the hard work because sometimes the hard work is incredibly hard and the last thing we want to do. But if we can see or we can feel that payoff, we're much more encouraged and motivated to continue with it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Going back. So when you first start working with a client and let's say their goal is fat loss Mm -hmm. and you start talking with them and you're doing your discovery and everything, how do you get them to buy into this way of doing things, fixing, you know, their behaviors and emotions prior to the calorie deficit when their goal is fat loss, but Mm -hmm. the calorie deficit isn't necessarily the right thing to do in that, in that, at that time, you got to do those other things first. 
I can't tell you how many times I have drafted and edited that initial email to explain an answer to that question. Oh my goodness. It's the hardest <laughs> you know, it's, some, someone invests their hard-earned money for fat loss. And you're like, hey, that's great, but we're going to actually spend four to eight weeks not even worrying about fat loss and changing XYZ. It right. is a terribly defeating and frustrating feeling for a client to receive that feedback from you. Now, I think it's a wonderful sign of good faith and credibility if a coach comes back with an answer like that. But granted, most people who reach out for fat loss coaching are coming from a very emotionally charged state. So that's the very last thing you want to hear. And again, I'll preface, I have fine-tuned this email a million times over the years, but it really starts with breaking down some of the physiological changes that take place as a result of either chronic restriction or yo-yo dieting. You know, if someone's coming to me eating 1200 calories per day, so they say, you know, again, loosely consistently, I, I try to explain to them like, okay, if, if we understand that a calorie deficit is necessary to lose weight, where are we taking calories from your already incredibly low calorie intake? If you're already hunger, fatigued, you maybe have an inconsistent menstrual cycle, terrible stress management, you're not sleeping well, you're not performing well in the gym, what do you really expect to happen if we have you eating less? So trying to explain why the approach they want is not ideal and aligned with their long-term goal is kind of phase one. And then phase two, walking them through, you know, here is my proposed plan. We're going to spend X amount of time gradually increasing our intake, which is going to help you begin to eat to thrive rather than eating to merely survive. And it's also going to open up so much opportunity to have more mental and emotional energy, not to mention physical to rebuild our relationship with food, rebuild our habits. So now we're starting to paint the picture of what's possible when we, you know, put our focus on something other than just weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. And I'll share further examples. Like, you know, again, going back to numbers, people really gravitate towards numbers. You know, mm -hmm. if we do gradually increase your food intake in a methodical patient manner, you're not going to just gain 10, 15 pounds overnight or over a month. Your body's going to respond favorably. It's going to feel for the first time it's actually well fueled. So it can do some of the things it was putting a pause on, like build muscle, like perform well, like recover well, like have your glycogen stores really well stocked. And again, it's painting that picture about what life looks like kind of through this uncomfortable period and ultimately how that phase sets them up for easier, more significant and likely sustainable fat loss when the time comes. When the, when the time comes. Absolutely. Right. And maybe that time doesn't come after that too. Sometimes the, the goal could change after the, uh, your clients do this, uh, this other work. They're like, you know what? Um, I'm actually don't want to go into an intentional fat loss phase. I love just feeling my body for performance or, or whatever they might've fallen in love with in that process. You're spot on. Absolutely. We, we think we're so fixated on a number. We'll feel great when we reach this weight or this clothing size. But when reality, if we just focus on self-love, you know, speaking kindly to ourselves, eating enough, not just the minimal amount. We feel night and day differences and oh, oh, yeah. we don't need to actually diet anymore. We feel great. I think people lose uh, or don't even really know how shitty they feel until yeah. they actually start to eat more food. And they're like, oh, wow, I'm actually that wasn't normal. <laughs> I'm sleeping better. I'm not so tired. They're consistently trying to deprive themselves that they, they just don't know what it's like to um, live in a state of homeostasis, I guess you could say. Yeah. I'll never forget one of my, my good friends and, and former coworkers, Michaela used to say like, you don't know how good you feel. You can feel until you feel it. And it's like, Oh, Holy crap. This is a wake up call. This is energy. This is what it feels like to wake yeah. up energy in the morning. I love that. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you, what you feel until you feel it. That's, that's powerful actually. Yeah. It's true. I like that. So I would like to go back into when someone reaches maintenance or they, they reach their goal, so just whatever, you know, I hate to put a number on it, but a lot of people like to put, you know, the number. <laughs> when you say that your end weight is not your maintenance weight, what exactly does that mean? And what happens when you hit maintenance and, you know, the scale fluctuates? How do you know you're actually really in maintenance? I guess I'm, I'm asking a bunch of questions at once. <laughs> <laughs> I just went all over the place. So I'm going to answer them all in a backward <laughs> <order>. Amazing. <laughs> So your, your end of diet weight is a lie and, and we need to clarify what that means. And for me, it's as simple as let's use a traditional 12 week diet phase. Not really sure why that's traditional, but we know that's the most touted duration these days. So if someone diets for 12 weeks, 
typically those final three, maybe four weeks could be absolutely miserable. Your, your carbohydrates are very low. Of course, your calorie intake is very low relative to you, relative to where you started or were eating before you began your diet phase. And as a result, you have significantly fewer carbohydrates stored as glycogen in your muscles and your liver. And you just don't have much food passing through your digestive system because you're eating a fraction of what you're used to. Therefore, when you finally end your diet, you're just this withered away version of you. And yes, you may be extra lean and you might look great. And the reason you feel great is for many reasons, but it's also influenced by the fact that the diet is done and you achieved your goal. So it's the sh short-term surge in dopamine that's masking how shitty you probably really feel underneath because you have dieted so long and dieting is a major stress on the body. So because you are so withered away at that point, your end of diet weight is going to be likely a few pounds. And of course, relative to every person away from what your actual maintenance goal should be. If you base all of your weight maintenance goals off of your final diet weigh-in from you know day 90 or day 91, you have a very miscalculated idea and you're setting yourself up for failure because that's just not your true weight. And if we think about it, the first thing your body is going to do when you start increasing the amount of food it's eating and you begin to slowly do this over time is it wants to store, store, store. So now your carbohydrate uh, stores and your muscles and liver are going to be, you know, fully replenished or trending in that direction. You have more food passing through your digestive system. So it's not uncommon to be three, five, six pounds up a couple of weeks after your diet compared to that final end of diet weight. But in reality, that wasn't your true weight. So now it creates this mismatch, you know, misalignment here. So what I like to recommend is you find the 80% mark of your diet. So for example, that's roughly nine weeks into your 12 week diet. If we continue with this example, and if we're taking a couple weigh-ins per week and we're finding the weekly average, I want you to use your end of week nine average as your new maintenance baseline. Because yes, you might've lost a few more pounds those final couple of weeks, but that's a more accurate reflection before you were too withered away like a prune or a raisin. You still had some food in your body, still had some carbohydrates in your muscles. And by using that particular weight, you're gonna see that a few weeks after navigating the post-diet maintenance phase and eating more food, you're probably right around there, which is the more accurate reflection of your end of diet weight in the first place. There you go. There you yeah. go. Um, lots, lots of act, uh, factors, variables going into that after dieting weight. I know me personally, and of course, th this is not how everybody operates, but I know last time I went in a really intentional fat loss phase, you know, and went was like 2016 when I took off a bunch of weight. I went from 240 down to 170 at my lowest um, over the course of a couple of years. It was I went in, you know, fat loss phases during that time. Nowadays, my maintenance weight is literally like 200 pounds because what, what I cut down to a weight that was unrealistic for myself. Um, I did it for vanity reasons to get really lean and get really shredded. So I knew that wasn't sustainable for me, but I'm, I love where I'm at. You know, now I'm still down, you know, 40, almost 50 pounds from my starting weight, but I'm not down at the 70 pounds loss where I was. And I, I'm okay with that. And I think uh, more people need to understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're so right. Because again, not to put words in your mouth, but you feel great at this weight compared yes. to that emaciated version of you 20 or 30 pounds later. Yep. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Feeling my body. I'm a, I, I love powerlifting. I don't know what type of workouts you're into, Paul, um, but I love powerlifting and I'm getting back into that now. So it can't be coming from a place of uh, deprivation when we're doing that. <laughs> no, not at all. No, actually, I, I've competed a couple times in powerlifting meets. A couple car accidents derailed me, but absolutely loved oh. it. Miss, missed the feeling for sure. Sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I just picked a barbell up that literally back in my hand yesterday for the first time in a few months, I took pretty much all summer off of barbell training. So I'm excited to get back to it. Awesome. What was the, if you don't mind me asking, what was the, the car accident? What, what, what did that involve? You said I've been rear ended on three separate occasions, oh my God. four or five years. And the, the first, yeah, the first time in particular just really did me and a lot of just, you know, herniated disc that this messed up disc lumbar issue here there so putting a barbell on my back it's not a, a comfortable feeling and then it's really the deadlifting too whether it's conventional or sumo style i can do it for a couple of weeks and then something just goes to hell got it man so people do you drive a specific car like what is it about you, your car <laughs> know, it's, it's been actually let me think about it. i think it's been in three separate cars which is is kind of funny <laughs> Jeez. oh wow Three well, fingers crossed. No, three separate no, no states. More. Three separate states. Yeah. Do you like to travel? 
I, yeah, I've lived in eight states the last 10 years. Oh, wow. Man, 10 years, eight, eight states. Wow. You're telling me. I hope I don't have to ever have to move again. I'm done with it. So where are you located right now? I am just outside of Tampa, Florida. Okay. Okay. Did you have to evacuate? What was the Did situation? Have to, decided to last minute when girlfriend's not from here, just moved down and was a little bit more, you know, afraid of being such a novel experience. So we went inland another hour and a half or so, but it turned out, fortunately, last second, uh, the storm veered more south and hit a couple hours south rather than hitting where I'm at. So obviously very sad for that area. Yeah. I lost part of my fence, but that's, you know, minimal. Yeah. Right. Compared to others. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Um, so tell us about the, the, I think it's, you said the 5% community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the 5% community is a place where we specifically work with women and helping them to rebuild massive amounts of self-confidence, self-trust, and self-love while simultaneously helping them rebuild their relationship with food, lose the weight they desire and keep it off for good. And it's, I would say, yes, people, you know, initially are attracted to and come to it for the weight loss reasons, but we just like you two spend so much time on the mindset, the emotional intelligence and the behavior change. And I really like to think of it as a a marriage between a personal growth community and a sustainable weight loss slash feeling and looking your best community, because we do so much more work in the head and in the heart versus nutritional X's and O's. That's the the hard stuff, man, right? That that's where the work, the hard work comes in. Yes. Yeah, so we've, we've done a phenomenal job creating such an intimate, safe community where the vulnerability is encouraged, it's supported. And yes, of course, it's shared with fear because that's natural, but it's shared very courageously. And of course, as you guys know, when we open our hearts and we ask for help or we share our stories, not only do we get the returning favor of being helped, but we help somebody else who maybe isn't ready to share their story or they're asked their question yet. So it's just a, a wonderful community. These women are just outstanding human beings. Awesome. And now is that in, um, where is that look? Is that on Facebook? So we actually use Slack for our private community. Oh, okay. Yeah. Free. <laughs> yeah. We were in Facebook when we started, but you, you guys know you log on, it's your friend's new dog, your cousin's baby. It's a distraction. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to separate that for sure. It is. I had something I wanted to ask and it just, it blew my brain for a second. So let me recollect myself. <laughs> um, okay. I knew what it was. Relationship with food. Mm-hmm. How would you, you know, someone says, Paul, I want to, you know, heal my relationship with food. Where do I begin? How do I even start with that? Take a timer, set your timer for three minutes. And I like to say either word vomit or thought download all of the food rules that are currently dominating your life. Just get them all on paper. Now, here's the one piece of this people overlook. There are such things as positive food rules, you know, and that's kind of a, we can get into that if needed. But what, what this does is bring awareness to all the rules that are, are guiding their decision-making, whether they realize it or not, the majority of them are probably very negative, but there are a handful of ones that are very, could be very positive. And with that, we, we get, we gain awareness. And from there, I like to provide education on shifting our word choice from food rule to food guideline, you know, much more subjective, much more neutral, if not positive in connotation. And it gives us an opportunity to then begin taking ownership and feeling empowered as we choose which guidelines that we want to write that serve our life or our desired relationship with food. And from there, it's also important just to stop and think about like, what is your dream relationship with food? How do you want to feel when you eat a meal or when you're navigating a social occasion? Again, it goes back to feelings. If I can get really clear that I want to feel calm and in control while navigating a social occasion. This gives me a lot of information to work with to help me kind of work backwards to arrive at the action steps I need to take or to seek out the appropriate resources, education, and coaching. But you need to get really clear to kind of summarize this, like on what food rules are currently present, start shifting to food guidelines versus rules, audit that list, which ones are serving you, which ones do you like, which ones are not serving you, and then use that to write your own manifesto, if you will, of the guidelines that help you feel and look your best and are in alignment with your dream relationship with food. Yeah. So those food rules, I, I, I agree. I, I We actually talked about that, I think just last week or a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. What if they don't know what their food rules are? How can they put those on the paper if they're, we're not, they're not even aware of what those food rules are. 
It's a great question. So I like to provide examples and prompts. So for example, if you're not, are you eating breakfast right away or you don't eat for three hours, you don't eat carbs after 6 p.m. You don't eat anything after 8 p.m. You eat something 37 seconds after finishing your workout. You can never eat breakfast foods for dinner. So giving people a couple ideas tends to stimulate their creative juices. And it's like, oh, okay, I know what he or she means. Now I know five more that I can quickly come up with. Okay, all right. And then on, so food rules are typically seen as negative thing, right? So you mentioned positive food rules. What are some examples of positive food rules and how can that help? Yeah. So one, one that comes to mind that is really common is that you typically eat within an hour or so of finishing your workout. Like, you know, that is a rule. It's more of a guideline in some instance, depending how it's phrased, of course, but that is usually a good practice eating around your, your workout. Similar yep. to if you're someone who has a very busy demanding day, you know, I work with a lot of women who are in the medical industry in some which way. So their schedules are unpredictable and very demanding. And if you're going into a shift, knowing the first five or six hours of your day, you're not going to be able to eat really really well, a good rule for you might be to eat something before that incredibly busy period of time, because otherwise you're turning to the break room donuts at 12 PM or 2 PM. Cause you haven't eaten anything all day, but two cups of coffee. Yeah. Otherwise known as like a practical hunger, essentially. Right. Like I know I'm going to be busy for X amount of time. So I need to at least get something in my body. That way I don't go overboard later. Exactly. Yeah. That proactive mindset. Yep. You may have to eat when you're not really that hungry, but it's going to save you in the long term. And that, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a, that's a point that's really difficult to wrap our heads around. We're taught yeah. so much to listen to our bodily cues. Am I hungry? Is it, is, am I stressed? Is there emotion present? But sometimes you do need to eat proactively to navigate your schedule, to avoid a situation down the road during the day where it's, you know, binge central because you haven't eaten in eight or 10 hours. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. doesn't make sense at first. When you think about it, you want me to eat so that I avoid eating. And it's like, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and a quick reframe there is just food is fuel. And if we can yeah. see that, oh, I need to be fueled for the day. Again, very subtle, but has the potential to be very powerful. Right. Yeah. Words matter. Yes. Yes, they do. You know, I hear a lot of I can't. I can't stop eating um, at one like Reese's peanut butter cup. It's like, no, but you can. Um, you keep saying you can't. So you're you're not going to. You're speaking it into I, existence. Right. Like, it, <laughs> So what, you know, how, what would you say to someone that kept saying, but I can't, I am addicted to sugar. I have to have a chocolate every night. Yeah. yeah you know, but I can't stop it. Just one. What do you do in that type of situation? Well, I mean, I couldn't agree more when you say you're speaking into existence, Matt. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And I, I have this wonderful working model. I like to call it just, you know, this, the self-talk to identity transformation model of change. And I like to really map out to people like, you know, here's an example of what your word choice and self-talk might sound like in your head. All of that directly influences your thoughts. And when you keep giving the same thoughts enough attention, energy, and time of day, they become elevated to emotions. And it's those mm. thoughts and emotions that shape your beliefs. And all of a sudden, your beliefs are influencing your actions, your results, your identity, and your reality. So really using you know, visuals here, again, to paint the picture of the power of the words is incredibly important so that they see like, oh, I do have control here because I'm the one responsible for nurturing this mental garden, controlling what input comes in. And here is the literal downstream effect. Oh shit. Okay. Maybe I should watch my words more carefully because that is the re exact reason I find myself stuck in this diet hopping cycle or this yo-yo dieting cycle. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing that hurts me more when I hear clients or just people in our comments and messages in general, just saying, I can't, or I only, or just minimize, mm -hmm. you know, dismissing all of their accomplishments and, yeah. and only looking at the negative side of things. Like there's so many positives we can pull out of any situation, but if you mm -hmm. are only looking at the negatives, you're going to, you're going to feel negative. <laughs> Yeah, there, so every Friday, even though we encourage at any time, but every Friday in our community is Share Your Wins Friday. And I harp on people to really execute this. I, I literally call it non-negotiable because you're right. We are, we're conditioned to always find the negatives and the bad in our life. And we have to actively train and be conscious of seeking out the positives. And if you can't stop to celebrate yourself or to find something positive, how the hell do you expect to show up as the best version of yourself? It just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well said. I saw it was, maybe it was on your podcast or on your website. 99% of our life is spent in maintenance. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Cause obviously we, we know this, but what does that really mean? 
Absolutely. So if you take a patient, diligent, planned out approach to weight loss, let's say, for example, I, I, I have 50 pounds to lose and, you know, I am open minded, coachable and patient. I have the right team resources community around me. I recognize maybe this goal will take me two years. If I take the approach that is the right way to achieve sustainable success, that means once I reach that goal, I might never have to diet again. So, you know, if you think about and extrapolate the next 50, 60, 70 years of your life, you never have to diet again. So I kind of round up 99% of your life. But unfortunately, we are, we've been so conditioned by the weight loss and diet industry to take the wrong, unsustainable, restrictive approach to dieting that, you know, I, I read a statistic a couple of years back, the average American dieter diets four times per year. So it's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, you're spending 99% <laughs> <decent>. of your <laughs> dieting. Yeah, that's, and that, that's heartbreaking because it's true. Yeah. I, I think anybody listening is probably raising their hand right now. Like, shit, I, yeah. I have been dieting since I was a teenager, you know, and yeah. They're in the 30s, 40s, 50s. And I know I've worked with clients that hadn't had a piece of their own birthday cake since as an adult. Like, oh my gosh, that is dieting. And we there's a better way to it. Maintenance is a better way. Like, yeah. Of course, you can do those things while still losing fat, but that's no lifestyle. Yeah. And people forget like dieting is a significant mental, emotional, physiological. Mm-hmm. It gets masked by the sexiness and excitement when the scale is moving. But at the end of the day, like when you're physiologically stressed, your body is going to fight back and let you know it. And that, that's really important to slow down and listen to. Yeah. How are some ways that your body do that then? Because I think if, if we can understand the, what our body's doing behind the scenes of dieting, it can help people understand why we can't, we shouldn't be constantly trying to diet and lose weight. Yeah. So I like to equate our body to a very talented mixed martial artist. It is going to kick, punch, and take you down. So the ways that it does that is first, Mm -hmm. that drastically alters our appetite regulating hormones. So there's a major reduction in appetite suppressing leptin and a major uptick in appetite increasing ghrelin. So right off the bat, as you enter a calorie deficit, your hormones are changing in order to favor you to eat more, to return to a place of comfort and homeostasis. But even more is your body begins to conserve energy or conserve calories any way possible. So not only do you experience a gradual increase in just general fatigue, your willingness to complete activities of daily living slowly declines. But if you were to do the same exact workout on day one of your diet, you know, literally to this T exercise sets, rep, rest breaks, and we had the most perfect calorie expenditure calculator or wearable fitness technology in the world, and then do that same workout 50 or 90 days later, you would have burned significantly fewer calories at day 50 or day 90, because your body has become so efficient. You're therefore burning fewer fewer calories. Your body is able to function without burning nearly as many calories. And all of this leads to what was once a calorie deficit. When you started your diet, your body has made so many changes that that new amount becomes your maintenance intake, which means if you want to continue losing weight, you either have to eat less move more or a combination of the two. So we get this downward trend in how much we have to eat because there's a significant downward trend in how much or how many calories your body is burning. Uh, otherwise known as me- metabolic adaptation in a way, correct? Bingo. Yep. Yep. And how soon does that start to happen after dieting or being in a calorie deficit? It, it begins to happen at very gradual degrees, you know, in the very early stages, you know, week one, week two, I'm sure if we had the most perfect measurement technology in the world, we could start to see a downward trend and, or the, you know, diet induced changes in our appetite hormones. But the longer we diet, the harsher and the more pronounced those adaptations are. And that is very, you know, I use the word scary a little loosely, but concerning because for all those people pushing mind over matter for these 90 day or 12 week diets, just to finish, to say they finished are doing a lot more harm than good because the minute they end or the minute they break or give in their body is going to rebound and fight hard to get back to homeostasis as quickly as possible. And unfortunately at that time, our body isn't just prioritizing building all of the muscle in the world. It's going to put back on some body fat as a protective survival mechanism. Replenish those energy storages. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Phenomenal. What, uh, what are you currently working on these days? Do you have anything exciting coming up? Yeah. So from a nutrition perspective and then one non-nutrition one, uh, 5% community is where I spend the vast majority of my time have a, a wonderful community of women, a wonderful team working alongside me where we really just get to pour in and, and change these women's lives for the better way beyond the scale or what their, their clothing size is. And that's just so much fun because it's an opportunity. I say all the time, like 
I, I, I just pour my heart and in my life into this community. So I get way more out of it than they do. They, they think they get more than me, but they really don't. So it's a selfish win-win situation to, yeah. really, to help everybody feel, look, and be the very best version of themselves. So we continued with grand ambitions there, but then I've also gotten a, a real fire under my ass lately, learning more about coffee and having a dream of opening up a coffee shop. So that's in the works slowly, but surely as I just continue to kind of apprentice volunteer with local shops around town to get some hands-on experience. Well, that's cool. That's oh, cool. I love that. I love yeah. coffee. I'm always, <laughs> always Beth drinks more caffeine than I do. That's for sure. But I love, <laughs> I, I'm pretty basic when it comes to coffee. How do you like your coffee? So in my ideal world, I do a pour over method with some single origin, usually from Ethiopia because it's nice and fruity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. See, I do French press and I grind okay. my own beans. That's about as cool. advanced as I get. I haven't oh, gotten there you any, go. any deeper than that, but I'm like, yeah, these beans look good. Um, I've gotten the Ethiopian beans and things like that. Okay. But I'm no connoisseur, but I, I love a good, I, I drink most of my coffee black. Yep. Um, I just love the the strong, bold flavors and, and mm-hmm. Beeman will pick that up. I love the bold flavors. That's great. Actually, this morning I was just at a, 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 a now I guess I call him a friend. He owns a coffee roastery nearby. So I went and watched him awesome. through the coffee roasting process for the first time ever. I mean, you can read about it and watch videos online, but to like be there in the flesh, it was such a neat experience to, to get the smells and see how everything operates. So neat. Yeah. I live in Maine and in town we have they roast coffee at this place and you can mm-hmm. smell it for like, like a mile down the road. You're like, oh, they're roasting coffee right now. Oh man. The smell is amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a, as a registered dietitian, is there any cor- correlation there between your interest in coffee or is that just like, I just love the act of coffee and how it tastes and makes me feel. And oh, smell. what's funny is that one of my old jobs, I did have a big project, like really, you know, outlining all the health benefits of coffee. So I'm sure there's some influence coming in from there. But I've always just enjoyed it and kind of had a an interest in it. And then actually, a couple months ago, one of my good friends came over. He he does a lot of the marketing for a coffee for a coffee company called Atlas Coffee who is kind of like the Netflix of coffee, if you will. And he took me through my first ever cupping experience, which is essentially what the roasters do to identify the palate of a newly roasted bean. And that just kind of lit a fire under my ass. Like I said, I kind of had this distant dream of doing it one day because I'm all, I'm all about it from the community and connection standpoint. If I get an opportunity to have a one-on-one intimate connection, I know in 30 seconds, I can leave a positive impact that could alter the trajectory of your day and ultimately the trajectory of your your life. So that's what really does it for me. And just having that experience with him with really good coffee, I was like, oh, this is what's possible. This is what people mean by like really well-kept and and locally sourced coffee. This makes sense. This is awesome. Let me dive deep into this. And that's what I've been doing the last couple of months. That's awesome. That sounds like a podcast idea, like talking over coffee and coffee talk. Just getting yeah, coffee talk, getting to know people and yeah, and learning about their life experiences. <laughs> okay, somebody's going to take that idea now. You two can be the first two guests. I'll there we up. go. Yeah, <laughs> there, we, there go. we go. Hey, we so speak you, things into existence here on, we the, do. on our podcast we do. too. So um, we're all about the power. Yeah, of how we speak, right? Yeah, affirmations for sure. For sure, yeah. Um, so you no longer have Screw the Scale podcast. Is that is that correct? Do you have, is it the 5% Way podcast now? Correct. So we just changed the name once the 5% okay. brand started, but same fun, same entertainment, same education. Okay, uh, awesome. And you've been doing that for a few years. I was looking back, I think in 2018 is when you guys started that podcast. Yeah, good eye. Yeah, I think we just crossed like right, right around 210 episodes or so. So yeah, it's wow, been a nice. wild and fun ride. We're like infants compared to you. We just were, we just had our one year anniversary uh, about a month or so ago. So we're at like 55, 56 episodes right now. You guys are so. kicking ass though. Your yeah, stuff is so good. Oh, appreciate that. Appreciate well, thank that. you. I'll be honest. I haven't listened to any of your episodes yet, but I'm definitely going to. Yeah, I get it. You're you're very busy. I get it. I did in 2018. I started at number one. That's awesome. And I don't know how how far I made it. It might have been like 20 or something episodes. But yeah, there I I absolutely love them. If you guys are listening, whoever's listening right now, if you're curious about maintenance and just you know all things about it, just start at number one on Screw the Scale podcast with um, Paul Salter. They're incredible and actually helped me a great deal. Well, thank you for that. For sure. Help me become a better coach actually too, you know, just learning about maintenance and for myself and to coach people. 
Yeah. And that's, that's why what sets you two apart is you continue to learn and increase your knowledge and experience. And therefore you can put your own spin and deliver it to your clients. It's just a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Always learning. There's always something to learn in this um, business. Yeah. And that's why I love this <laughs> right? platform that we've been blessed to have with our podcast is we can bring on people such as yourself, Paul, who yeah. are much more knowledgeable than us and more experienced than us and come and chat with you and just learn from you and, and help our audience, you know? It's it's truly uh, amazing, as you can probably attest to, just having that platform and helping people with everything that you do. It's it's awesome. Yeah, it's all it's all comes back to relationships and just people and engaging with other people. Yeah, I mean, I I take so many. You know, it's been what forty five minutes. I've already taken so much from you too. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. That's so cool. So maintenance, man. How do we? I I, I want to get more people buying into the idea of maintenance. This is because we've talked about why we shouldn't be using just a scale for for measuring progress mm. and how we can look at you know strength goals and performance goals and then life after fat loss. We haven't really talked about life after you know that fat loss phase too much. So super excited that you're here today and that we've yeah thank you so you. much for being here. Absolutely it's it's my honor. I appreciate you two for giving me the opportunity. This has been great and I can just confidently say you two are each my kind of people which I, I really appreciate. I Thanks. love that. Definitely, yes. definitely. I am going I am going to dive into your guys' podcast. I don't know are you I don't know how you guys feel about this but ever since I started doing podcasting with Cut the Crap mm-hmm. I don't really listen to many health and fitness podcasts anymore. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I have to go out of my way to do it, but I'm definitely going to do it for years. I like, I love the, I love listening to like history podcasts and. and yeah. I, I listen to more uh, podcasts that I can learn from like Paul Salter, or um, I just listened to one from uh, Biolane was on it. And okay. I didn't know like hit Lane Norton's history and where he began with bodybuilding.com as well. Yeah. He's right here in Tampa too. Is he? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've met him quite a few times. He is as genuine as he comes across on social media. He is such yeah. a kind soul and he he has just the best of intentions for everybody. So kind. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate for him too. Not we don't not to spend too much time talking about him because he gets shit on so much for being like a gym oh. bro. Just people just stereotype him just because he's big and yeah. jacked and muscular, but he's smart oh. as hell. He's compassionate. He has empathy, but yeah. he's also just gonna tell you how it is too. Like, no, that's bullshit. And the, the data doesn't agree with you whatsoever. Yeah. Who fuck your feelings? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which I've borrowed that saying quite a few times. I know. Facts, facts don't give a fuck about your feelings. <laughs> yeah, they, I think he even has a shirt. Day it over your feelings. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He 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 means well, but he will put you in your place so quick if you try to bring data into it and you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you dive into like the data a lot, or are you more so? with focusing on the behaviors and and things like that. Of course, there's data to support that stuff. But I mean, do you practice a lot of that or or read a lot of research? And so I used to for I lived in the research for probably six, seven years when I was starting out coaching, going through my undergrad, my master's and whatnot, like I I had no choice. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was like, I was that college kid on a Friday night with his head buried in the sports (laughs) book or, you know, print out (laughs) big time nerd alert. And we're, uh, we're coining that term here on the podcast, nerdle. <laughs> and then as I've, I've progressed, I, I continue, I read a lot. I'm, I'm an avid reader of books, nice. all things under the personal growth development area. So that that's really where I, I'll look. And if something piques my interest, I'll go look into the research more when studies are cited and whatnot. But I'm, I'm no longer living on Pub, PubMed and Google Scholar like I used to. It's just, I, I love and can appreciate it, but I want to focus on the practical application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same. That's why we have people like Lane and Alan Aragon. They're they're the ones that are doing the re- they're in the research and, yeah. and they're just you know conveying it to us. We're like, okay, cool. Like we yeah, they do the hard work for us. They do right, right, <laughs> it, absolutely. Because like research is cool, but it's so dry and boring ninety nine percent of the yeah. time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd much rather dive into the mindset part of it. I can I can really absolutely for me. <laughs> so absolutely. So do you like to, to write? Do you, do you do write any articles? I know on, I think on bodybuilding.com you were writing articles or maybe it was for RP. For, for both. You're correct. I was a, my position was like writer and editor at bodybuilding.com. So I I do enjoy writing quite a bit. It's funny you asked, I got away from it for most of this year and then just started picking it back up again. Um, starting to work on a book and just, it's, I've learned as I've, you know, going through all of my challenges and healing in life, like writing is a form of creative play for me. And I, and I missed that and didn't realize what it was actually providing me aside from, you know, money or a paycheck for a period of time. So 
I'm, I'm happily getting back into it again and, and really enjoying it. So a book. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Ways away, but it's it's gonna be fun. It's gonna it's gonna be really dive deeper into that kind of self-talk to identity transformation model. Oh, I love that. Amazing. Bringing in an, an angle of a sustainable weight loss infused in the examples throughout, but really just gonna be a, a simple guide to help anyone who reads it feel, look, and be the best version of themselves. I love that. For sure. For sure. So Paul, for anybody that's listening that wants to learn more about you, check out the 5% community or or just learn more about maintenance that you're the guy, right? Um, how can people find you? Yeah, I think the best way is to connect with me on Instagram at Paul Salter Coaching. Just come say hi. I'm my genuine self there as I am. If you were to meet me in person, you'll get an opportunity just to kind of see my energy, my vibe, what I stand for. And if, if we you know connect that resonates with you, let's connect there. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go throw it out there. Everybody go check him out on Instagram because yes. I'm going to be diving into more of your content. I know that for sure. Oh, I'm going to yeah. listen to the podcast and check out all your content. So yeah. um, I would recommend everybody else do that too. Well, I've been following since 2018, I believe too. <laughs> Beth is OG. <laughs> I am OG when, when um, I think, I don't know her name. Was it Nancy? That, uh, I, um, she contacted us. I was like, Paul Salter. Oh my God. For real? Oh yeah, I know exactly. Beth, I'm, Beth ex- was I'm like, super excited. This is a really big fucking deal. I was like, fuck yeah, let's do it. So yeah, to me, because I mean, I've been, like I said, listening to your stuff. So this is very exciting for me. So thank you for being here. Me as well. And yeah, Nicole is so sweet. She was actually, uh, she's a 5% it, member. Okay. She was our member of the year last year. She's Aww. just a totally different woman and just feels so motivated to give back. And that's, you know, one of the many ways she supports me. I'm so grateful for her. Love that. That's incredible. So you have people in your community then that you're also kind of working with in a way then too. Yeah, we have a community happiness or special manager specialist who's a fellow five percenter who is a walking, breathing example of the transformation that's possible. Love that. Nicole is yeah. now my director of st- strategic partnerships and outreach. And uh, they're just two incredible women who, you know, believe in what we do because they're firsthand examples and are yeah. trying to help other women realize like you don't have to start a new diet every Monday. Right. Yeah. That's that speaks volumes about you and your program and what you guys are doing that mm-hmm. people that have gone through it are staying in the community and working with you and helping you spread the message. Yeah. That, that, there's no better validation right there, honestly. No, thank you. I, I agree that I'm very blessed to have such awesome people in my life. Awesome. I love that. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. I was awesome meeting you today. Uh, like I said, thank I'm you. excited to connect and just to learn more from you. Yeah. Thank you to both of you. This was phenomenal. Fantastic conversation. I appreciate both of you and I look forward to staying in touch. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Right back at you. Thanks, Paul. Hope you enjoyed this episode. So why not share with a friend who needs to hear it? Send us a DM on Instagram or email us at cutthecrappod at gmail.com and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cutthecrappodcast. As always, we appreciate you and thanks for being here.